My name is Keith Case, and I'm a pastor here at Providencia. Um, we're going to be lead, reading from the book of Colossians tonight, chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. This is uh, Paul's letter to the church in Colossae in and, and nearby uh, areas. And uh, we'll be reading from the NIV. It'll be on the screen up here, and there's also a few Bibles uh, there that are read that you can follow along with. Starting in verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So ends the reading of the word of the Lord. Um, you may have noticed certain notes of Hamilton, if you're familiar with that soundtrack tonight. They may have been bleeding through some of the worship music. Um, Anna's here with us. She's on the road right now with the Hamilton tour. She was the one playing violin over there. We put her behind the speaker, just so you couldn't see her. Um, and, uh, but she's, she's on the road with Hamilton right now, and they're actually up in Pittsburgh where it's zero degrees, but she gets to be here this week hanging out with her dear friend, uh, Sarah Claire, and she's, I know, becoming friends with more of us uh, the longer she's here. But thank you so much, Anna, for being here with us tonight and, and playing. She, she didn't have to be here. Um, Guys, I, I love running. Most of you don't know that about me because I haven't run for about five and a half years now. But um, <laughs> it, it, it used to be one of the most relaxing things that I did. And that may sound just as weird. But when you have as, as many kids as we do, you'll understand why going on a run for an hour really is relaxing. And uh, it was a time where I just cleared my mind. And I, I actually would pray a lot uh, while I would run. And um, so it was this very relaxing thing, but my wife and I did this crazy thing. We decided to sign up for one of these races. Some of you here may do these races like on the regular, but we decided to do this 5K, and we were all excited about it, and I think we only had Harper at the time, so um, 
we were going to take turns pushing the stroller. And they gave us these little um, like GPS tracker things, we thought. You know, we, we put those on our shoe. You put it on your shoelace. And then we took off, uh, you know, down to the, 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 the starting line. And there was masses of people down there. And we were told, you know, when you cross the line that it will tell you, you know, your, your time. And so everybody was like packing in at the front of the line. And they were like, you know, foaming at the mouth, these like super competitive people, you know, trying to get out in front of everybody. And I just was standing in the back. I was like way, way, way in the back, just looking at everybody. And I was like, you fools. Don't you know they put this tracker on us, you know? Like when you cross the start line, then it'll pick up your time. And then when you cross the finish line, it'll tell you your time. So I watched everybody take off, and I just kind of sat there in my, you know, glory of just watching everybody running like mad men and mad women. And um, I just, you know, and, and I got my wife to stay back there with me too. You know, just relax, honey. Like just let all the fools run ahead of us. And, um, and then we, we took off, and we started going. And once we crossed that line, and we were making like super good time. And I was thinking, oh, I'm going to get like maybe top five my age group, right? Because when you get as old as I am, they start putting you into smaller and smaller age groups. And um, then we get about like, I don't know, halfway through the race. And we had run into a friend. And uh, we told him like we were making really good time. And they uh, actually notified us that we weren't making that good a time because we were running next to them. And we were like, what are you talking about? You know, I, the thing starts as soon as you cross the uh, start line. And she's like, no, no, no. No, it, it's, it starts as soon as they fire the gun. And uh, so I, I thought, like, you know, I was really being smart. And um, we now know who the fool was. Um, but some of us, you know, I think in life start to feel like we kind of stood back a little bit, maybe, at least in certain areas of our life, and everybody else is really far ahead of us. Uh, some of you may feel that with your career. Uh, you're like, man, I, I wish I was more advanced in my career. I wish I was, you know, for my age, I should be further along. Somebody may feel that uh, financially, you know, especially start seeing those commercials about retirement and things like that. God, man, I should have started doing that, you know, a long time ago. Uh, some of you may feel that in your relationships with, you know, the idea of getting married. You're like, oh, I, I'm, I feel behind. I'm not married yet. Or, or maybe you're, you're married and you're like thinking about kids. You're like, oh, we're so behind. We haven't had kids yet. So in different ways, we begin to feel like we're behind. And this whole idea of life kind of being about a race. And, and we're going to be talking about uh, this tonight because... As we, as you hopefully know, this is MLK weekend, and, and, and Monday is uh, MLK day, and, and we're going to kind of be, as, as we think about this tonight, I want you to think about a race, like a, a, a foot race, or, you know, a, a road race, like running, a race, but also about race, and how these things are connected. And I, I hope to move the finish line for you just a bit tonight. I hope to change the I am racing into a we are racing. And I hope to compel us to see that it's more of a walk together than it is a run. Um, Jordan and I and several of you went down to Miami for a multi-faith event 
on, on Friday night. I know for many of us, it was our first time in a synagogue. It was our first time at a Shabbat. And um, they had a special speaker there. He was an African-American professor from a local university. And he told the story about how both African-Americans and, and Jewish people had worked together in this country uh, towards freedom. That together, they had really come together to support each other in the struggle uh, for freedom. And painfully absent from that conversation were the names of white Christians, especially evangelical Christians. We had a confession during that time, and I want to read you just a line of it. It says, We are Israel, schooled in the suffering of the oppressed. You shall not oppress your neighbors nor rob them. You shall not stand idle while your neighbor bleeds. And that's from Leviticus 19, 3, 19, 13, and 16. And I wonder for me in my own life, maybe for you and yours, as I think about my own race and as I think about getting ahead and as I think about the ways in which I feel behind, if I really have time to take care of my bleeding neighbor. And I want you to tell you that Jesus is moving our finish line. Jesus is moving our finish line and, and echoing in my ears now for the last days as I've prepared for this sermon are the words of that man who the day before he lost his life there in Memphis gave this speech. The day before his life was taken from him. He ended his speech. He said, well... I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now. Because I've been to the mountaintop. And I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. And I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And so I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. My eyes have seen the coming of the glory of the Lord. When Paul is writing to the people of Colossians, a people in many ways taken hostage by the narrative of an empire that surrounds them, the narrative of a religion that is chaining them up, not setting them free, it's chaining them up and requiring them to do so many religious things and to worship different idols and different statues. And he starts off in chapter 3, but we have been to the mountaintop. There's a new finish line in verses 1 through 4. Verse 1, since you have been raised with Christ... Since you have been raised with Christ, it doesn't get any higher than that. 
If you've attached yourself to Christ, you have already defeated death. You are united with Him in your victory at that finish line. And certainly death is a part of that finish line. But that finish line He also calls the things above. And what are those things? He says in verse 2, set your mind on the things above, on that finish line, that you might remember Jesus when he taught us to pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is the will? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. What is the kingdom of God that we are trying to bring here on earth from heaven? What are those things? And let me just say one as I rephrase the confession that we said that night at the synagogue. Church, schooled in the suffering of the oppressed, you shall not oppress your neighbors nor rob them. You shall not stand idle while your neighbor bleeds. Remember Jesus telling that story of the Good Samaritan? And he calls everybody out. Everybody out. In January of 1964, Sam Cooke penned these words, and I've had them on repeat all day. He said, I was born by the river in a little tent. And just like the river, I've been running ever since. It's been a long time coming. But change is going to come. Oh, yes, it will. It has been too hard living. But I'm afraid to die because I don't know what is up there beyond the sky. It has been a long, long time coming. But I know a change is going to come. Oh, yes, it will. And that song, which... Many would say it was one of the greatest songs ever written. Um, Sam Cooke wrote it after Bob Dylan wrote his song, um, The Times They Are Changing. Because a lot of Sam Cooke's music was very popular among white people, he was afraid to really sing about his experience as a black man in America. He never performed that song live except for once after he had written it on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. It's the only time he ever did it live. And it was inspired by the time when his family and his band were traveling in, in, uh, in Louisiana and they tried to check into a hotel and they said it's whites only. The time when they were tired, they needed a place to lay their head from their travels. They were hungry. They were thirsty from the race they'd been running. And we think, man, that's crazy. Fifty years ago, 1964, people couldn't stay in a hotel by cause of the color of their skin. And I'm 42. And friends, we still have establishments here in West Palm Beach today that black people and Jewish people cannot enter, that they cannot be members of. Because that club doesn't want some people in the race with them on the way to their destination. And they think that makes them richer. Oh, it makes them so poor. 
it makes them so poor. When we went to the synagogue in Miami, we had to pass through security. I made a joke about it that we were going to start having that here at Providencia. And I know that in today's world that, um, you know, things can happen anywhere. But for a long time, synagogues in this country have had to have fences and securities around them. And one of our friends that we met, a rabbi in Miami, posted a while ago a story about his grandmother growing up in Germany and having to fake like she was a Christian and she would hide out in churches uh, during church services and kind of blend in with the Christians so that she wouldn't be taken by the Nazis. And what gripped me so deeply about that story is that the Christians were still having worship, the Christians were still gathering together, the Jewish person was having to fake to be a Christian to get protection. So you ask yourself, where was the church? See, we still have blind spots today here in our culture. Is that, why is it that the Jewish synagogues here in this country, that many people would claim is a Christian country, I, I by the way, don't believe that, but, but many people would claim it, and yet people who are worshiping uh, in a synagogue have to put fences and security around So what is it about our culture that has created a space like that? I will say there are things today, chains, friends, that are around us that are killing us, and they're very, very hard to see. And I hope not to send any of you into a fit of unhealthy guilt or shame. But if you identify yourself when they ask you on that little list there, as a white person, if you have to check that little box as part of your identity, and if you believe it, that that's who you are, I hope to set you free tonight from that narrative. I hope to set you free from that box. You know, this country was founded on a narrative that was so dangerous. It is not a Christian narrative. But many of the Christians who came here wed their white skin to their vision of the promised land. And it's complicated. It's complicated to unpack. There's no way I can unpack it all in in one sermon. But they too had seen a certain promised land. And because they had wed their whiteness to their faith, they felt justified in taking it from non-white indigenous people. And they felt justified in enslaving non-whites on the way to that promised land. But see, America's original sin was not slavery. It was not racism driving this idea of whiteness. It was greed. Verse 5 Paul says, put to death your greed, which is an idol. Put to death your greed, it is an idol. He lists a bunch of other things there in front of greed. But the thing about an idol, which all those other things touch on, is that no matter how much you give it, 
it will never be satisfied until it destroys you. See, at first, it's just about commodifying other people. At first, that's what it does. It just commodifies other people. You, you use other people, which, by the way, happens in the church. You turn others into property. And then it goes even further to commodify not just people, but creation. It commodifies the earth. But in the process, the, the slippery thing that you don't see coming is that it commodifies you. That it betrays you. It destroys everything in its path. And this is why the wrath of God, Paul says, is coming. To crush it, as Danny talked about, the enemies, the lies. To set us free from this evil. So rid yourself of them now, Paul says. Rid yourselves of them now. And as I said, it's, it's too much to get into the whole nuances of the white narrative, but I implore you to study the creation of race itself. To study when race was created. For example, one of the other things that they have on the list for you to check is whether or not you're Caucasian. And they said that that was a scientific discovery when in fact it was just the opinion of a man who happened to be a scientist who said that the Caucasus Mountains, the people from that area, were the most beautiful people in the world. It was his subjective opinion that he created these categories, which, by the way, he identified all people in the world with a location except when he got to the black race. He just called it a color. He tore them from a location. All the other, all the other um, classifications were identified with a place. But if you identify a, a certain sect of people as not ha- being identified with a place, it's easier for you to take them from that place. And I implore you, if you call yourself a Christian, that you must, you must educate yourself in the history of race. The first time I heard a man say or somebody say to me that race wasn't real, that racism was, it was a white man, and I was like, who is this guy? I was like so mad. And then I went to the racial equity training, institute training, where I was taught this uh, by people, uh, by two African-American women. And um, it was so eye-opening to me just couldn't believe it. There's so much of my life I've seen through this lens of race. Racism is real. There's a narrative connected to these races that have been created, but race is not. But it's a way in which we've justified the commodification of others. And there is a white narrative that has populated its way through the whole earth. In fact, uh, when one scholar talks about it, he, he's, his friend travels to Burma, and, and there's a billboard that is selling in Burma whitening cream. And there's not even white people there. 
but they're selling cream for you to lighten your skin. How in the world did this narrative about being white become so popular, so powerful? And, and it is complex. It is complex to understand it. But I will tell you that many people have bought into it. People who aren't even white have bought into it and want to be white because of what they believe it means about them, that they will be able to get what they want when they want it. Have you heard that before? Have you heard that in the narrative of our commercials here in this country? Does that sound familiar? They want to get into that race, but I want to tell you it's the wrong way, race. It's a fake race. The, t- the world tells you that we live in a world of scarcity, but the scriptures tell us we have a God of abundance, that there is plenty for all. And here's the thing. Not only is there enough, but you as the creation of God are worthy to be fed. You don't have to claim a color. You are worthy of his provision. You don't have to claim a race. You don't have to lie anymore either. You don't have to pretend you are more or less than you actually are. Being human is enough. And we can be known and loved in this new race. Because we are all in it together. We do not have to run alone in this race any longer. We get to run together. And that is the part of this movement from I, as the individual that we so often operate in our culture, to we. Some of you here, I don't know you. I've never met you. It's your first time here. You're just visiting. You're like, oh, my God, does this guy always talk about race? Is it always this intense? This guy needs to lighten up. Um, We talk about a lot of things. But I do want you to know that this is not the only time we talk about race. And I do want you to know that we're inviting you into a space, into a community where we are trying to do something together as a people, not just as individuals. We believe that is so important. Willie Jennings, in many ways, has been speaking into my life. He is a professor at Yale And he gives a talk that I've posted on my Facebook page called The Origins of Race that I, uh, again, implore you to listen to, to check out. You can also Google it. You don't have to go to my Facebook page. But in that, he says, the Christians that came to the new world separated people from land, people from connectivity, from relationship, and turned the world and its multiple beautiful people and its land into a commodity. They turned it into possession in an absolute sense. They taught the world to see itself in fragmentation and enclosure. And you're going to have to think about that for a while to really unpack what that means. But let me just put it this way. I love my neighborhood where I live. Um, But my whole yard is surrounded by a fence and then clusia bushes which if you don't know what those are, they're these bushes that grow like crazy here. And as I was laying in bed this week preparing for this sermon and listening to Willie, I started thinking about all the walls in my life that, you know, I have the, the one around my fence, then I have around my house, 
And then I have the one protecting my bedroom, you know. And then I started thinking about life in teepees and life in huts. I don't know if you've been to those parts of the world. That's a much smaller space, much thinner wall. But just how much walls have impacted us as a culture. How much the idea of private property has impacted us as a culture. The commodification of the land. As Willie lays this reality out, he says there is a way to be set free. And he lays out three things, and he does this in the talk, but let me just say them for you tonight. Number one, the renunciation of whiteness. Whiteness is not a thing you are born with. It is a choice. It is a choice to buy into a certain narrative. You were not born white. You can't even define what white is. Our government tried to define what it was because to be a property owner in the founding of this country, you had to be white. But they couldn't even define what white was. It's not a real thing. That's number one. You don't ever have to check that box again. Number two, to take on the humility of a learner. Take on the humility of a learner. You must sit at the feet of those who have suffered the most from the narratives that you have embraced that are lies. And for me in my life, that involves indigenous people, minorities, and the earth. That the deeper I have gotten into my Christian faith, the more it has actually pushed me to the margins. It has pushed me to the margins, to the marginalized. And it has made me listen again to the earth. Because our culture, in many ways, has pushed me further and further away from it. And lastly, a desire for life together that must be registered geographically. A desire for life together that must be registered geographically. And, and Willie goes on to say this. He says essentially this. That the true cure, the true cure to fight against this lie, this white lie, this narrative, is that we as Christians identify ourselves as outsiders, that we are the outsiders, and we identify ourselves with the marginalized, that the God of our life was the God of a different nation. We have chosen to believe and follow the God of a different people, and he was a different color than I am. Dark-skinned Jewish man is the God of my life. 
And this just takes us to our last point. Some of y'all are going to be really happy about this. Is that this new race that Jesus has moved the finish line, you know, the, the finish line I thought was about me getting ahead, and he moved the finish line for me. It's not about that. In that, in that race, I thought it was about me, and now he's changed it. No, no, it's Keith, it's about we. And this last part is, it's not about a run anymore, it's about a walk. We get to do it together. See, there's no division here, he says. There's no Jew or Gentile. There's no um, circumcised or uncircumcised. And it doesn't mean that we don't have cultural distinctions or identity uh, pieces of our identity. He's not saying, you know, you're not a, a man or a woman, uh, as he says in our, our text from last week. What he's saying is that if you were grabbing onto those things to think that it brought you further along in the race, it doesn't. Or if you were looking at other people and going, no, they're, they're behind in the race. I don't want to identify with those people. It doesn't. Not in Jesus' race. Not in Jesus' economy. It's not like that. The invitation he has for us as human beings is to live knowing you are loved. And this takes work. It's not easy, nothing is. But this is a part of that finish line of where you're going. Another part of that finish line is to live knowing you're forgiven. And this takes work. It's not easy. Easy, Nothing is. And lastly, he says, live in love. Live in love that we will cross together. That we are to link arms with each other and cross together. Let us pray.